Strong Opinion Sports is powered by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 585. Welcome in. Um, I am, I can tell I am really close to being 100%. Like I, I'm going to be healthy probably tomorrow, entirely healthy. I still got that last bit of, I don't know what you call it, like gunk deep in your chest when you're like, you're still like, mm, mm, like you're clearing your throat and it's just not quite coming out. Um, it got paid yesterday. I bought a neti pot. It's one of the few things that when I moved from the mainland back to Hawaii, I left the neti pot behind. It's like $8. I'm like, I'm not going to, in the limited space I got in my luggage, I'm not going to bring this thing as well. Eight bucks, you get a new one. I did that sucker like 10 times. And let me ask you, first of all, does anyone know what a neti pot is? Because if you don't, Google it, figure it out. Um, I actually love them. I have intense sinus issues. I always have. Probably doesn't help that I talk like a ton every week all the time. Um, but basically you have like a little teapot you put it in one nostril, you bend your head sideways, and you pour the water through one side, out the other. I'm oversimplifying it. You want to use distilled water, you have saline solution, all this stuff goes on. I did it 10 times. Usually, like, one nostril, then the other nostril, bang, bang, I'm done. I had to do it, like, 10 times before I finally felt clear of all the, the mucus and the yellow sludge coming out of my mouth, and sometimes even green sludge, which is horrifying, not once, not twice, five times each nostril. And oh my gosh, it was, uh, it felt amazing. It felt really good. But if you don't know what a neti pot is, I uh, highly recommend you look it up. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Thursday night football. It was a crappy game. Let, let's just be honest. It was not a great Thursday night football game. But there is a silver lining. I watched the game in a way that I've never watched a Thursday night football game on Amazon Prime before. And it made my experience go from hating Amazon Prime and hating watching games there and feeling angry and frustrated. I was forced to watch Thursday night games on Amazon Prime to this new way of watching suddenly changed everything. And I'm like, this is now the best way to watch football. I wish every game was actually on Amazon Prime. It blew my mind. Before we get into it, we got to pay the bills. So let's do that right now. Let's pay the bills. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options from spreads, player props, overs and unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. And kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. 
One, two, three, four. All right. Um, on Thursday night football, the 49ers beat the Giants 32-12. It was such an engaging, amazing game. Oh, my goodness, man. The 49ers led 17-6 at halftime. The Giants briefly made it 17-12. But then it wasn't a very close game. The rest of the night, actually, it wasn't an exciting game. It wasn't very good. Um, I, man, I would have loved it to be awesome. Um the game was basically exactly what we thought it was. It was a gimpy Giants team that wasn't at 100% going up against a Super Bowl caliber 49ers team. I don't mean to be down in the dumps. The game was saved. I'll tell you about the thing I saw and the way I watched the game that did take a boring kind of average game to like outstanding and fun to watch. But, uh, you know, the Giants offense only had 150 yards of total offense on Thursday night. Brock Purdy, the 49ers quarterback by himself, threw for over you know, double that, um, you know, he had 310 yards passing, was 25 for 37, Brock Purdy, two touchdowns, no turnovers. And the Giants had the ball three times in the fourth quarter with a shot to maybe make it a game and bring themselves back and hit an interception and two punts. So it was just kind of a, a big nothing burger of a game. It, it is worth mentioning, like, before I make fun of the Giants and say, ah, you know, they couldn't really make it a game. I mean, they were missing... Their running back, Saquon Barkley, has an ankle sprain. Uh, their left tackle, Andrew Thomas, their left guard, Ben Bredesen, uh, were also out with injuries. So for being down two offensive linemen, I actually felt like it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Like Daniel Jones only got sacked twice on the night, and he was playing up against you know one of the best defensive lines in all of football. So all things considered, not a horrible night for the Giants. Not a good night, but it could have been worse. And, uh, you know, 49ers star receiver Brandon Ayuk did not play. And you would have never noticed. You would have been like, oh, they're missing someone? You mean this offense could be even better for the 49ers? That's a terrifying thought because um, the star players in the 49ers offense are unbelievable. You got George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk when he's healthy, Christian McCaffrey. The running back in this game, running back Christian McCaffrey had 13 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown run. On top of having five catches for 34 yards. I got to say briefly, if you are going to play running back, if you're a young athlete right now and you're like, look, I'm really good at this, this running back thing. I don't want to change positions. Watch a lot of Christian McCaffrey film. I know there's not a lot of Christian McCaffrey's just growing on trees. You're not going to see a lot of guys who both can run with power and catch a ball out of the backfield and work as a blocker, but he does everything. And if you're going to emulate any running back in the NFL, you want to be like Christian McCaffrey. He is amazing. He can run. He can catch passes like a receiver. He's a physical good blocker. I saw him outside with George Kittle doing a double-team block, leading the way on one of the plays on the goal line. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is awesome, and uh, he really is. I mean, he is the best running back in all of football and every other running back in the league and every young running back out there. If you're going to play the running back position, that's the guy you want to copy. That's the guy you want to emulate and be like. He's amazing. Uh, 49ers tight end George Kittle had seven catches for 90 yards. He's a weapon they've barely used this year, quite honestly. Like, two games in, I guess three games in now, finally, like, had near 100 yards, seven catches. This is the first time all year George Kittle's really gotten the ball very much. Uh, I'm sure it helped that Brandon Ayuk was out. But they've got so many weapons on the 49ers offense, it feels like they can so evenly spread the ball everywhere. Uh, Debo Samuel, a guy who... He's a receiver technically, but also was in the backfield a lot in the past and played running back, receiver hybrid type of position. 
Didn't run the ball once in this football game. Had six catches for 129 yards. One touchdown catch on a back shoulder fade. And uh, it just really... He's a great receiver who can also run to the football. And there was a play where he got hit by a Giants defender. The defender bounced off of him like... I mean, Debo is just a big, built dude. And I got a comment, 129 yards. If you're from Skyview High School like I grew up, uh, we, we had a saying that... Um, the dome, the Tacoma Dome, where the state championship was played, was 129 miles from our high school. And it's weird how that number 129 throughout my entire life, that number always pops up. It's weird how that's a thing that former guys who played with me in high school will always be like, yeah, 129. I know that matters nothing to you, but um, it's a weird thing. Like, if you look for the number 129, it pops up everywhere. It's kind of kind of funny. Uh, now, the 49ers have star players everywhere. It's crazy. Um Brock Purdy, their quarterback, isn't average. I guess he's not, like, I wouldn't call him mid, for lack of a better term. But he threw a couple dangerous throws in this football game. Uh, kind of just, they hung up in the air. They almost were picked off. Um, Brock Purdy, I don't know how to describe him. He's very, he's fine. He He's just a, he's he's cheap enough. They can get, he's good enough. They can get away with winning with him. And because he's cheap, they can pay everyone else on the roster. And it's such a unique position because unlike a lot of the other teams that are in Super Bowl contention this year, Patrick Mahomes with Kansas City, Jalen Hurts, Philadelphia, Dak Prescott uh, in Dallas, Josh Allen in Buffalo, trying to think of another one. Who's like a legitimate Super Bowl contender? It feels too early to say anyone else other than that. I'd like to imagine Cleveland could, but... Deshaun Watson, their quarterback, who is highly paid, is nowhere near playing at a high enough level for them to be a Super Bowl competitor. The 49ers are unique because they've got this great roster and a very solid to almost average quarterback who does the little things right. I mean, I don't want to not appreciate the things that Brock Purdy does well. He runs the offense very well. He's certainly much better than Trey Lance was. I mean, it's kind of interesting, but... um, you know, they are not led by their quarterback. Their quarterback runs their system and does enough, but they are led by their playmakers. And it's, I, I'm curious, it's an interesting experiment because I think it's sustainable. I, I think that because of how much talent they have, how much the wealth is spread out, they can survive an injury to a key player because they've got three other guys on offense who stepped up like they did on Thursday night. Uh, and Brock Purdy, not a slouch. He's not one of their star players. I wouldn't say that. He's one of the faces of the team because he's the quarterback. But if Brock Purdy wasn't your quarterback, you wouldn't pay very much attention to him. He's just a solid starter on their roster. I think it's going to work. And as I look at this 49ers team, I think we're heading towards a 13-4, and 14-3. Dare I say maybe even 15-2 and two season for the 49ers. I mean, who's going to beat the 49ers this year realistically? I mean, every let's be clear. Every team loses and has a slip-up game where you don't play your best. You lose a game to a team you shouldn't. Maybe I, I can see a team like Arizona, quite frankly, uh, stealing a game from the 49ers. We saw that in week two, the Rams almost did against the 49ers. But like realistically, when you look at the 49ers schedule, who are the most dangerous teams on the rest of their schedule? It's Philly, Dallas, and Cleveland. And to me, on their best day, the 49ers are better than all three of those football teams. I think, quite frankly, 
The 49ers playing their best football. They're the best team in the entire NFL, and it's not even close. I mean, I know, look, we're three games in. I don't want to jump the shark completely, but Jalen Hurts has started the year really slow. Trevon Diggs is now out for the Dallas Cowboys defense. That's going to hurt them. I know it doesn't sound like losing one starter on defense shouldn't be the end of your season, but that's going to be a big loss to the rest of their year. Um, Deshaun Watson's been very disappointing on a really talented Cleveland Browns team, but a team that is only going to go as far as their offense will take them. And we saw on Monday night, week two, the Browns offense cost them 14 points and really cost them the game. So the 49ers are going to lose a game here and there. Everybody slips up. But right now, it feels like we're headed towards a 49ers Super Bowl. I mean, I, I just, I, I look around the NFL, who are the best teams right now? The 49ers offense looks the best. Their defense looks fantastic. Um, they're going to be top four or five, I think, in both categories. And I, I don't know. I, I, I'm really interested who can beat the 49ers. And what's going to happen Like when part of why they can pay everybody is because they've got Brock Purdy on like a really cheap contract making less than a million dollars a year. I don't think Brock Purdy's worth like more than $20, $15 million a year. I mean, if you're not... I don't know. I'm so fascinated in their future financially because the 49ers, if they win a Super Bowl this year, or even if they make a really deep playoff run, I think Brock Purdy's wanting gonna want to get paid something. Don't don't give him 200 million dollars. That would be stupid. Don't make him one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. But give him, I don't know, 15, 20 million a year. I mean, the less money Brock Purdy takes, frankly, the more valuable he is because it allows him to have great players around him. But it does feel weird. Like Brock Purdy makes less than a million dollars a year and I feel bad for him. I'd love to make what he makes like 900K a year. That'd be amazing. But he is getting grossly underpaid to be a starting NFL quarterback and he's playing well enough for them to win a lot. I think Brock Purdy's better than what Jimmy Garoppolo was for them, to be totally honest. And I, I think this team is gonna, if not win the Super Bowl, be in the Super Bowl and I, I am I'm really at a loss for who is going to easily beat the 49ers. Nobody. Nobody. They can beat any team in the NFL. And on their best day, I think they're the best team in in football. And man, if they stay healthy, the 49ers are they feel like a playoff not only a playoff team, they feel like a Super Bowl team to me. Now uh 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan and general manager. John Lynch, they just got contract extensions. It was announced on Friday, today after the victory on Thursday Night Football. And a lot of people were upset when Trey Lance got officially traded away from the 49ers. And there was a, a, a real final acceptance that, hey, it didn't work. We drafted Trey Lance. We spent a bunch of draft capital to go get him and moved up in the draft. And it just didn't work at all. A lot of people were mad that it seemed like John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were going to walk away scot-free. No problem. Um, and the reason why there is no fallout for them, other than, let's be clear, they are still going to deal with the ramifications of that draft pick not working out. It's just not going to affect them and their employment status. But can you imagine if they had not messed up with Trey Lance? If they had the draft picks back, if they could go back in time and use those draft picks differently... The 49ers would be even better. It'd be an embarrassment of riches at how good they would be. And uh, it worked out the way it did. But they are, I know people want them to, 
pay the price for maybe that that mistake. Oh, they are. <laughs> like, they're just going to have to deal with it and, and deal with the ramifications of it in San Francisco. But right now, the 49ers are 3-0. and They should be the favorite to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And they're very deserving of a contract extension. They're doing fantastic. I really think that if you somehow think that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, because they screwed up the Trey Lance draft pick, they don't deserve to have their jobs, you're insane. You're wrong. You're full of nonsense. It's very silly. Um, I, I just can't fathom. I don't think anyone has that take, right? No one out there is saying that they don't deserve the extension, right? Because they messed up this draft pick. I know people want to see someone take the fall there, but um, I just think that for them to have that monumental of a draft bust, to be totally honest, I mean, Trey Lance didn't work at all. And still be in the position they're in really goes to show why they deserve the jobs in the first place, why they're so great at what they do. And uh, a lot of respect for Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. I really think that uh, we got a question about them later in the show. Let's just, you know what? Let's skip ahead. I want to read this right now. Um, someone was comparing him to, he wrote Mike MacArthur. I was like, I think you need Mike McCarthy because you're referencing the Dallas Cowboys. But um, let's just read that question now. I was going to wait till later, but I think it's really interesting and fun. So David wrote in on Patreon. Remember, you can go to patreon.com slash Zach Shomler, patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. Uh, I'll do the spiel later, but if you want to support the show, please do. Now, David said, hey, Zach, glad to see you're back. I love your content. I used to listen to Undisputed and First Take, but got tired of listening to their clickbait nonsense and never admitting when they are wrong. Just two things of many that you do better. So I was wondering what you think is the best team in football, the Cowboys or the 49ers? They both have explosive defenses. I think the 49ers have a better rushing attack, but other than that, they seem pretty even. I think what will be the deciding factor at the end of the year is that the 49ers have a way better coach. Do you think Mike MacArthur, I think you mean Mike McCarthy, gets too much hate? After all, Mike McCarthy has a ring and Kyle Shanahan does not. So, um, well, let's talk about this, right? Who's a better team? the 49ers or the Cowboys, and which coach is better. I think you're right to deduce that that's going to be the difference between, at the end of the year, for the 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys, that's going to be the deciding factor, who's better coached. And uh, to me, if I'm totally honest, I mean, I know Mike McCarthy has a Super Bowl ring. He won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. Uh, and Kyle Shanahan does not have a Super Bowl. He's known for being up 28-3 in a Super Bowl with Matt Ryan and losing as the offensive coordinator. And he's known for losing a Super Bowl to Patrick Mahomes with Jimmy Garoppolo as his quarterback. So first of all, who had a better quarterback in those Super Bowls? McCarthy, McCarthy did. Um, and the other thing I want to say is that if you're a fan not of Dallas or the 49ers, literally any of the other 30 football teams, who would you rather be your head coach? If you're a Seattle fan, if you're a Ravens fan, if you're a Packers fan, if you're a Bengals fan, a Giants fan, a Dolphins fan, literally any other team, who would you rather be your head coach, Mike McCarthy or Kyle Shanahan? It's Kyle Shanahan. Enough said there. I mean, that there's a reason why Kyle Shanahan's fantastic and done an amazing job. And uh, I think you're right. Uh, that at the end of the year, 
down the stretch. I would imagine these two teams are going to run into each other in the playoffs. They're going to play week five in San Francisco. I cannot wait. It's going to be amazing. I really think these two teams are going to be... I mean, in the 90s, they had this crazy rivalry. Dallas, the 49ers, it was so much fun. I mean, even like from Montana to Steve Young and Aikman and like, oh, it just I really think that we're going to recapture that feeling this year with two of the best defenses in football, Dallas and San Francisco, two really good offenses that are very interesting. They're going to come and collide with each other at some point in the playoffs. I believe that. Week five, we get a preview of it, but I think that the 49ers are a better team. They're a better coach team. And, uh, man, I think that uh, really the question is, who can challenge the 49ers in the NFC? That's the real question. I think Philly could challenge them. Philly's going to get better as the year goes on. They had a slow start to the year. They had two coordinators that are brand new. New defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator. little hiccup there. It's been a slow start, but the Eagles are 2-0. Uh, and... Dallas is another team that could really challenge the 49ers. You know, one of those three teams I think is probably going to be in the Super Bowl representing the NFC, barring some crazy surprise. To me, those are the three best teams in the NFC, and uh, I, I think the 49ers is the best of the bunch. I, I really, it's funny, I was down on the 49ers during preseason predictions, but they are unbelievable. All right, I want to tell you about something. Thursday night football was not a great game. The Giants, the 49ers, the 49ers easily won. The very best thing about this game, the thing that kind of caught me off guard, I want to give a shout out to Hubert on Patreon. He wrote in, if you listen to 583, two episodes ago now, uh, he wrote in with a Patreon write-in about this saying, hey, you got to watch this game on Prime Vision. And I was like, Prime Vision? What is that? I've never heard of that. I went from hating Amazon Prime, hating and begrudgingly that I had to watch Thursday night football games on Amazon, to now it's my favorite all-time way to watch football games. I wish every game could be watched this way. Prime Vision is a different camera angle. It's also not quite, like when you watch NFL film, it's a static camera. It's like really... It's really zoomed out. There's no stylized to it. It's not at an angle. It's not shot with any intentionality. It's just very boring. It's for coaches. This is also not quite that. The, the version of, it's a wider angle shot. It does show all 22 players. It is just like watching film, but it's got a filter over it. It looks better. It's got graphics on it. It's at a little more of an angle. The camera follows the ball just a little bit. So it's like actually stylized and it's enjoyable to watch. Uh, you still have, when you watch the game on Prime Vision, you still have the broadcasters in your ear talking, but you just got a better camera angle. So you can watch the defense. You can see who's blitzing. You can tell what coverage is going on. You can see all the guys motioning across the formation. It's by far the best way I've ever watched an NFL game. I really, really love it. I like hearing the announcers in my head. It makes me happy to have them in my headphones or on my speakers. It just... It's comforting. It feels weird to watch film. When I watch film, there are no broadcasters, and it, it's kind of lonely and weird, and I can't really listen to a podcast because then my brain is thinking about something that's not the football game, and music isn't quite right either. I actually, this is the best way I've ever watched football. When I, I get to watch the All-22, I get to see all 22 players on the field, read the coverage, tell what's going on from every angle, and I got the broadcasters telling me what's happening. It's, it's fantastic. I really, really 
If you've never watched a Thursday night football game with their specific setting prime vision, best way to watch football I've ever seen in my entire life. I can't believe it. And I I am now excited for Thursday night in a way I've never been before. Like, I watched a garbage game <laughs> between the 49ers and the Giants, and I was engaged, and I loved every minute of it. That's a new phenomenon for me. Like, I, I can't remember what the game is next week, next Thursday. I don't care if it's a blowout 50 to nothing. I'm watching the entire game in Prime Vision. It's legitimately, like, they're not a sponsor. They're not paying me to say this. I'm just telling you, I'm a football fan. I love, love Love the game. And if you love football the way I love football, you should watch every Thursday night game in Prime Vision. It's like so much better. A lot of alternate broadcasts are out there. StatCast and the Manning cast, all this other nonsense. Nothing is even close to as good as what Prime Vision offers. It is such a transcendental way to watch football. And uh, I cannot recommend it enough. It is fantastic. All right, um... I put out an episode yesterday. Well, actually, I put out two episodes yesterday. I should be very proud. Um, episode 584 is about my second week doing fantasy football. I lost. I don't really like the episode. And if you haven't listened to it, or if you have, either way, you should listen to what I'm about to say next. Because I've never made fantasy football content before. I'm kind of finding my way. And um, let me first say, I've been really sick all week. I was very behind all week. I feel like finally today... I'm, I'm going to put this episode out and be caught up and be like, ah, oh, I can breathe. It'll be great. Literally, I mean, my congestion's about gone. And actually, I'll be like finally caught up for the first time really since football season started. I've been playing catch up and I thought I finally was going to catch up this week. And then I got sick and it's been miserable. Um, next week's fantasy football episode is going to be better than it was uh, this past week. No one said anything. I just was putting it out feeling like this kind of sucked. It wasn't my best content. Um, and I, as I've learned what to do, so I'm, it's kind of a journal. I'm kind of sharing my journey doing fantasy football every week and telling you how my team did and the decisions I made. Um, but one of the aspects I really liked about week one and that I want to lean more into as the year goes on is I talked about the little nuances of the rest of the league, all the funny stories. Who started this guy when they should have started this other guy? Who barely lost and got kind of screwed over by a bad beat? That kind of stuff. Good luck, bad breaks, having fun with it. Um, also, I think sharing the players who do the best. You know, who who is the highest scoring receiver? Who's the highest scoring running back of the week? Who's the highest scoring quarterback? That kind of stuff. That's fun and needs to be included. So um, no one complained no one said, Zach, your content sucks. I just felt like as I was putting it out, I was like, well, look, I'm literally putting this out at halftime during the Giants 49ers Thursday night football game. I'm not going to re-record it or put more content into it. I'm just going to talk about it tomorrow and acknowledge that this could have been better and it will be better in the future. I'm learning, guys, as fantasy football content goes. I am really loving it, though. I really do. Um, I never would have thought... I'm growing and changing. I'm an adult. I'm, I'm changing my ways. Uh, I've accepted fantasy football. It's really fun. And then, you know, it started as like a desperate, I just need money. <laughs> I, I opened myself up to gambling sponsorships and uh, I, I need the money. I mean, I, I was very open about that. I will say, though, and kind of the, this really started my favorite podcast I was listening to earlier today doing dishes, actually. Uh, it's a it's a show called Sacred Symbols, a, a PlayStation podcast. They talk about video games. I don't listen to any um, content about sports. 
at all. I just don't do that. They actually talked about uh, accepting gambling sponsorships onto their show, though. And I was like, oh, wow, my ears perked up. I listened to their perspective really kind of – it helped me feel better about taking gambling sponsorships. And uh, they were basically like, look, you're an adult. It's an adult show. And um, – be responsible with your money. And I've always kind of had this this attitude of, I got to protect the people from the gambling. It's like, well, no, you're an adult. I'm going to get paid. And if you want to gamble, do it. And I, I feel like I'm just changing my values a little bit and growing up and um, accepting that's the way the world works and how it is. But for the first time in my life, I finally found an opportunity that I don't have the money to gamble. I'm not gambling at all. I, I spent my last, I got paid and I spent the little money I had on buying a neti pot to, you know, clear my congestion. I don't have any free money to go spend on gambling, if I'm totally honest with you and me. Uh, but there is a, a thing that I saw. I'm like, that would be fun to gamble on. And I'd, I'd probably lose, but it would make the experience better. And I think I'm starting to understand people that do gamble here and there and how it works. I, uh, I'm going to watch this Colorado game tomorrow. Colorado is playing on the road at Oregon. They're three touchdown underdogs, according to Vegas. And, uh, that's a that that's a game I'd love to gamble on. Like it's a game I, I don't know. I don't. I can't even think of a number. Ten bucks, whatever. You put ten bucks on the game. I'm gonna watch that game either way, and I expect them to lose. So if they lose, it's gonna hurt either way. I lose ten bucks. That sucks. But it's the kind. And by the way, I can't gamble. I'm in. I'm in Hawaii. Like they don't. It's not even legal to gamble here if I wanted to. But I had this thought. I was like, you know, what? I'm I'm listening to this podcast this morning. They're talking about gambling. And I'm like, you know, what? I could see how it would be fun to. Watch the Colorado game, a game that I am supremely invested in, like really, really care about. I understand how I could watch that game with 10 bucks on the line to win way more, by the way, because they're underdogs. I'd be betting, I think I'd be betting on the underdog, which I think would win me a lot more money than $10 back. I think, I don't really know. I, I think it's how that works. And as whether Colorado wins or loses, if they win, it would be the greatest win of my entire life. I'm like, ah, I won like, I don't know, 30 bucks, whatever it is, right? I think it's a three to one odds work. And I'd be like, yeah, oh my God, I got more money back than I started with. And the team I wanted to win won. I, I kind of understand betting a, a small amount of money on a game you're like really emotionally invested in because it just makes the victory even better. And if you're going to lose, you're going to be disappointed and deflated either way. I don't have the money to play around and, and mess with any of that to be t between you and me. Like, I'm just not, I'm not gambling, but it's the first time in my life. I was like, that would be fun. Like that. I understand the hook now. And I've been trying to have an open mind and grow as a person. And, you know, I, the same thing happened to me in fantasy football. I finally get it. I finally understand why people my entire life have asked me, why do I play fantasy football? Why I don't. They tell me they love it. It's their favorite thing. I'm loving the camaraderie. I'm loving being part of the group. I'm part. I'm loving this fun little decision-making thing every day. It makes you follow games closer. Like, I'll tell you what, George Kittle's on my football team, and watching George Kittle get seven catches for 90 yards on Thursday night, I was a little more interested. I was a little more excited. I was invested. And uh, I think these things, these little things humans do, um, I've never needed help following football. I've always just enjoyed football. I'm a football nerd. I love it. Uh, like on a Friday night tonight, I'm going to watch football from Sunday by myself because I'm a crazy man. That's just what I do for fun. But I realize not everyone is all consumed in football like me. Not everyone played in college. Not everybody 
does it for their job. And not everybody loves the game as much as I do. And things like fantasy football, putting 10 bucks on a game, I think that just makes people that are casual fans even more invested and interested in the sport. And uh, nothing wrong with that, I think. As I'm really kind of growing and challenging my beliefs, I'm starting to go, you know what? That makes sense to me. And I know I just wanted to share that. It really wasn't planned to say any of that, but it came out of nowhere. And I was going to talk about making the fantasy show for next week better, but, um, you know, the rest of that was just came out of my my brain, I guess. Um, I want to say out of my butt, but technically out of my brain. But, uh, yeah, I, I really um, – I think you're seeing me having more open mind than in the past. And um, I'm having fun, guys. I, I just It's a really good football season. It's been really cool. Uh, we got some news for Sunday that is uh, bad news if you're a, a fan of these two teams. Um, Colts rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson is out for the Week 3 matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he got a concussion. He will not play this week. So Gardner Minshew is going to be the starting quarterback for the Colts. Minshew mania, baby. You know I love Gardner Minshew. I always have since Washington State. We went to college together, technically. Um... Baltimore is going to be, Maryland is going to be really wet. It's going to be some bad weather. I think that's bad news because if the Colts could have Anthony Richardson, I mean, also let's think about it. Lamar against Anthony Richardson would have been really fun, especially in a game where I think throwing the football is going to be kind of difficult. It's going to be wet and rainy and messy. Uh, That's like a category something tropical storm and they're heading their way. Some crazy big storm is heading towards Maryland and Washington, D.C. right now. I'm I'm disappointed we're not going to get to see this matchup between two quarterbacks who can run the ball really well, and I think the Colts' offense is going to suffer. Not that I don't love Gardner Minshew, but Gardner Minshew can't run, so an entire dynamic of their offense is going to be eliminated. And, uh, man, the Colts, they need their quarterback, and this is why Anthony Richardson has to, has to take care of himself. He's got to slide. He's got to get down. Do not take unnecessary hits. It's unfortunate. The little football I've seen him play this year, because he's gotten hurt, in both of their first two games, he's gotten injured. But the little football Anthony Richardson has played this year has been phenomenal. He looks amazing. He just can't stay on the field, so he's got to protect himself. It's not like he's getting horrible injuries, tearing his ACL. He doesn't look frail. He's just taking big hits unnecessarily. And Anthony Richardson, that's got to stop, dude. you got to take care of your body and slide and keep yourself from getting obliterated. Because when you are healthy and on the field... You're unbelievably fun to watch play football. Another quarterback is out. Panthers rookie quarterback Bryce Young is going to miss one or two weeks with an ankle injury. That makes Andy Dalton the starter this week uh, when Carolina plays at Seattle. Disappointing there. It makes Seattle, to me, even more the favorite to win this football game. I was hoping for like a fun showdown between Bryce Young and Geno Smith. We're not going to get that now. Andy Dalton's a quality quarterback. I know he gets a lot of hate. I know he gets made fun of a lot. I thought he did a decent job last year with the New Orleans Saints. And uh, looks like Andy could also be the starter when they play Minnesota week four. So we'll see what happens. But Bryce Young is out for two weeks with an ankle injury. One to two weeks. He could be back uh, week four against Minnesota. But more likely, you got a young quarterback. You're going to have a bad year anyway. Uh, I think it's very likely Carolina starts out 0-6, if I'm totally honest. I don't see any reason to hurry back Bryce Young before he is totally healthy and ready. All right. um, I want to talk about six NFL teams that I believe have done 
den. I believe of den. I believe they've den. You're like Zach, that's not a word. Uh, let me drink some water, then we'll we'll get back to this. Um, I want to talk about six NFL teams that, in my opinion, have been disappointing to start the year, and then two teams that have been kind of a pleasant surprise in the first two weeks of NFL football. Um, the disappointments are what I want to start with. Number one, the most obvious one, the New York Jets have been a disappointing football team. They are every year, by the way, if you're a Jets fan. Um, but actually, they're one and one which isn't terrible. But the, the obvious reason why the Jets have been disappointing so far this year is because Zach Wilson is back as their starting quarterback. And uh, we know that four plays into the year, Aaron Rodgers, their savior, tore his Achilles, snapped his Achilles, whatever you want to call it. I love that the joke, it's horrible. Four snaps into the year, five if you count the Achilles. Aaron was out for the year. It's messed up, but it's a little funny. Uh, it's sad and brutal that Aaron's out, and uh, it's just not. I watched the Jets play Dallas week two. It's not the same. It's not fun. It's not interesting. It's disappointing and kind of like going to a long, long, long funeral, like, like, like a 17, 16 week funeral where you're like, Okay, let's bury the Jets and try and worry about next year. Um, the other team that's been disappointing, or, or one of the next ones that's been disappointing, number two, the LA Chargers are just a frustrating team to watch. Uh, they got a new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. He's been fantastic. The Chargers have scored 58 points in two games, zero turnovers on offense, and somehow still they're 0-2. They've got a defensive head coach, Brandon Staley, stars on defense, and yet the defense is the problem. That can't happen. And when they fire Brandon Staley, what I hope happens is that they elevate Kellen Moore to interim head coach, give him the rest of the year, see how he does, and maybe just keep him. Maybe just make Kellen Moore the head coach after this year. That's that's a great plan to me. I don't think they're a terrible offense, and I think that Kellen Moore... He's got it on a trajectory to become a head coach anyway. Why can't he just be the head coach of the Chargers? Just make that move. When you fire Brandon Staley, make Kellen Moore the interim head coach. Use it as a, I don't know, 14-week audition, however long it is until Brandon Staley gets fired. And the rest of the year, convince Kellen Moore, you're doing awesome. We love you, assuming he does well. And then make him the head coach after this year. That's a great plan to me. Um, but because of the... 0-2 start, losing because of their defense with star players all over it. you got a defensive head coach. The Chargers have been disappointing. Disappointing team number three, I would call the Cleveland Browns disappointing. They're 1-1. One one. Nick Chubb is out for the year. That's their entire offensive system. He's They're built around Nick Chubb. And their quarterback, Deshaun Watson, who is getting paid a ton of money. Deshaun Watson has four turnovers in two games. They should not be one and one I watched that Monday night game week two. It was atrocious. And uh, I would call the Browns disappointing at this point of the year. They should be one of the best teams in football, but because of their quarterback and then now an injury to their running back, they are not. If I'm a Browns fan, I'm feeling pretty disappointed. Disappointing team number four, the Cincinnati Bengals. I love Cincinnati, man. What a great city, but they're 0-2. They couldn't score a touchdown week one at Cleveland. And uh, Joe Burrow, their quarterback, is dealing with a calf injury. We're just kind of, I don't know. I think their season is still salvageable. 
I do think the Bengals have taken a step backward roster-wise. We've seen them slowly eke out player, a couple starters here, a couple guys left them, and they're starting on other defenses in the NFL right now. Um, Joe Burrow's not at 100%. They're 0-2. I would call the Bengals disappointing so far this year. The Broncos are also a disappointing football team. They're 0-2. And the Denver Broncos lost week one, 17-16, a one-point loss. Then week two, they lost by two points. And you're like, what? Can we get a breath? 35 to 33, we lost week two. If you're, that's how you feel if you're a Broncos fan. Uh, Denver led 21 to three in that game against Washington in week two. And he gave it up. It's disappointing. I mean, when you look ahead at the rest of the Broncos schedule, it doesn't get easier. You, you actually started the year against two football teams that are not the toughest teams on your schedule. And if you're a great football team, you got to beat the Raiders in Washington week one and two. Those got to be gimmies if you're a great football team. You slipped up and lost the two teams you should have beat if you're, if, assuming Denver's going to be a good team this year. And I think winning five of their next eight is going to be a really tough challenge. And even if they won five of their next eight games, Denver would still just be five and five. It's really bad. That 0-2 start is cataclysmic if you're a Broncos fan. And uh, what a bad start to the year. Now, the number six disappointing team is uh, the Chicago Bears. My roommate, uh, I think taking a nap next door, she's a Bears fan. And uh, I am so sorry because I expected, I really thought that the Bears were going to be a bad team this year. But I thought they were going to be bad and kind of fun to watch. Like, hey, you know what? They're going to lose, but at least there's going to be good moments here and there. And at least Justin Fields is going to have a, like crazy highlight plays. And we've seen none of that. Justin Fields, their young quarterback, looks totally lost. And he is now, um, he, he called out the coaching staff. And then he walked it back, actually, and tried to be like, well, no, it was an accident. And you're, you're twisting my words. But also, I want to try to give you, he said a lot of weird stuff. And I'm like, dude, you got to pick up. You got to pick a side. Make up your mind. He's like, I want to help the media by giving you quotes. But when I do that, all you do is do clicks and clickbaity stuff. It's like, dude, you got to learn. Say nothing. If you're Justin Fields, do not give the Chicago media an ounce. They're not your friend. They're not trying to help you. Don't talk to them. Learn to talk like Bill Belichick. Give one word answers. Yes. No. Only less inflection. You got to be like, yes. No. Uh, it's just a tough game. We lost. Oh, what happened to the interception? I've got to watch the film. I'm on to Cincinnati. That's how you got to answer every question for Justin Fields. Do not say an ounce. Do not say a word. The media is not your friend. The defensive coordinator in Chicago resigned after two games. Now, we don't know what happened. It sounds like it might be a health thing for him. I'm not really sure, but the defense does look awful. <sighs> Chicago's a mess, man. Um... Do you remember? I think people forgot this already somehow. Chicago earned the number one pick last year. Everybody kept their job. The head coach, the offensive coordinator. Nobody got fired. The GM. Everybody kept their job somehow. Don't know why. But we, because they traded down in the draft, it's like we forget. Yeah, the Bears were the worst team in football last year. They still look that way. And it's awful. So if you're a Bears fan, even with the expectation of them having a bad year and being disappointing, I still find them more disappointing than they are now. I thought they were going to be bad and at least interesting and fun. 
they're bad and just ugly and embarrassing and shameful. So the Bears are, uh, I would call them the most disappointing team in the entire NFL so far to start the year. Now, the Washington Commanders have been a pleasant surprise. Hallelujah. They're 2-0. Their young quarterback, Sam Howell, making some plays, looking good. He had a touchdown pass um, last weekend. I was like, whoa, that's a, that's a really nice throw over the middle. Like a deep post in the back of the end zone, double coverage. I was like, that's a, I believe it was to Terry McLaurin, but don't quote me on that. I can't remember exactly who he was throwing to, but I think it was that. I watched the throw, though, against Denver. I was like, that's a dime. It's a beautiful throw. The offense week two scored 35 points. That has not happened and did not happen all of last year for Washington's offense. The defensive line looks good. Um, you know, I, I think the Washington Commanders at 2-0 right now. Little round of applause. You guys look awesome. Now, I don't know that it's going to last. I'm hoping so. I'd love to see Eric Bieniemy, Sam Howell, the Washington Commanders just start the year 4-0. That would be incredible. But the next two games are tough for Washington. They play Buffalo, then they play at Philly. I, I'm going to get ahead of it. I just want to give them praise now. 2-0, enjoy it. If you're a Washington fan, enjoy the 2-0. Be very happy. I'm not sure what the rest of the year is going to look like for y'all. But right now, you look awesome and enjoy the moment. Uh, Tampa is also 2-0. I would call that a pleasant surprise. The Buccaneers, their defense looks really good. Their quarterback, Baker Mayfield's playing very well. No turnovers this year. Three touchdowns. Um, now, I didn't mean for this to turn into... Teams that are, you know, deserving of praise look good in two weeks, but are going to have the rest of the year be garbage. But um, the next five games for Tampa are pretty brutal. They play Philly, then they play at New Orleans. That'll be a tough battle for their division, I think. They play Detroit, Atlanta, then Buffalo. I mean, the next five games for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not easy. I'm rooting for Baker. I'm rooting for them. I would love to see Tampa win their division. That would be very cool. Uh, but we'll see how the next five games go for them. Uh, news broke in the last couple days. It's kind of percolating and we're kind of waiting, but apparently it's been reported that the XFL and the USFL are in conversation to have a merger, to become one thing. The USFXL. Nope, they're not going to call it that? Okay. The UFXL. No, also not the name. Okay, we don't know what they're going to call it. Um, but I love it, man. When you have two things going on in a market that is unproven and frankly just trying to get anyone that they can get to watch, watch. You're just hurting each other. Why are you competing against each other, splitting the market, taking the few people that are interested in spring football and, and making them fight against each other. I like this idea of pooling your resources, bringing your two small fan bases together and combining them, getting as many players as you can on the field. Because remember, part of this is just getting players on the field. That's awesome. Everybody wins here with the XFL and the USFL merging. I love it. It's awesome. I know, I would imagine there's a couple really angry, crusty looking dudes on the internet who are like, I can't believe my USFL is not going to merge with the XFL. How dare you? And the rivals are like popping out of their head and they're going crazy. But um, you realize for the league, it's the best thing possible. If you actually like the USFL or you like the XFL and you're loyal to one of them, a merger happening would be more likely to ensure its future, I think. And it's going to be great. I, I really want to enjoy spring football. I like, you know, I when the XFL happened in 2020, 
We all remember what happened in 2020. I was actually in New York. I went to a Guardians game. I was staying in Manhattan. I was on the road watching a Guardians game when the first case of the little thing called the Rona popped up. I was like, oh, what's that thing in the Seattle airports? Seattle, Tacoma area. Ah, horrifying. I'm in Manhattan enjoying pizza and watching football. I love the XFL. I was all in. Then the Rona went down and things fell apart and our whole society, you know, had what happened, happened. We don't need to trauma bond and talk about it more. But um, since then, they haven't really pulled me back. I know they had more games. USFL was pretty good. And uh, a friend of mine was actually one of the quarterbacks in that league and did awesome. I'd love to have him on the show someday. Um, Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I, I really think that I am like the demographic. If you're going to have anyone follow spring football, you're, you're aiming right at people like me who just watch every NFL game they possibly can. They can't get enough of football. They eat, sleep, breathe football. I'm the guy. I so desperately want to watch spring football and enjoy it. This is going to make that even more likely. And uh, hey, man, XFL, USFL, if you guys merge, come up with a new name. I, I, that's what I hear they're kind of figuring out. Um, they're going to have marketing partners, broadcasting partners. They're going to be in a good position for people to watch, I think. And I'm going to support this thing. If they emerge and make an awesome Super League for spring football, your boy Zach is all in. I'm going to follow it. I'm going to cover it. I so badly want this to be awesome. And uh, I'm actually glad I don't have to try to juggle watching two different leagues. That's the thing. Like, as a viewer, if there's two options, I'm not watching either one. I, I can't keep track of all of it. But if you make one singular league and give me a great product to watch and pay attention to, I'm all in. That sounds like what's going to happen. And uh, oh, oh, boy. I love it. I love it. And I cannot wait. Um, I'm feeling good. You, can you guys tell I feel better? Can you guys tell that, like, my – I think my chaotic fun energy comes out when I'm feeling good. And uh, I can breathe like, <sighs> you hear that? Sinuses are pretty clear. They're not 100%. I still feel that little bit of like stuff in my chest. Like, <clears throat> it's still still in there, but oh, I'm back. I'm back, baby. It's going to be an amazing weekend of football. I cannot wait. Uh, I want to end the show today with questions from Patreon. This is very important. If you like this show and you want it to happen more, Go to patreon.com slash Zach Shomler, patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally does pay my rent, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Every Friday, I go on Patreon. I think once or twice I've forgotten how to do it on a Saturday. I already posted it for today. I know I'm in the clear. Uh, every Friday, though, I go to Patreon. I post a thread questions for the week of and then I, whatever next Monday is and I, I say submit your questions here I read every single question posted to that thread I do not guarantee to read your question on the show but I do guarantee I look at every single question with my 
eyeballs. I pick the top couple, I read them on the show, although if I'm totally honest, I read basically every submission on the show because I love doing it and it's fun. And question number one today, man, you know, I have this one as the first one in my notes. I don't know that it's actually the first one to start with. It's not a football-related question. But I'm going to take it. George writes in. George says, Hello, Zach. I was curious about your experience living in your truck for a year and how much you were willing to share about it. There is a movie called Nomadland, which is about a widow who travels the country in her van as a nomad. The actress, Frances McDormand, won the Oscar for Best Actress uh, uh, for that movie. It was very fascinating and very insightful in terms of the challenges faced with that lifestyle and how, as a society, we tend to look away from those types of people. What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced during that journey that you didn't consider? Were there some positive takeaways looking back on that experience that made you a better person? There must have been many moments of self-reflection that were therapeutic. Thank you for being so genuine and sharing your life experiences. Um, one thing I didn't look, you know, didn't quite realize, I, financially, like I never, I had this idea um, and things kept going wrong. Like I had this really amazing battery to like power all my stuff and I was going to charge it using solar panels, but I could never, ever afford solar panels. I never got to, you know, I started buying stuff for my truck. Everything was way behind schedule when you would order, it wouldn't come. And then by the time I finally got a lot of the stuff I needed, the prices on a roof rack I needed were raised and they were said it was going to take six months to a year for it to arrive. And I'm like, I got to live in my truck now. I don't have time to wait. So I never got solar panels on top of my truck. It made powering everything very difficult. I had a way to charge it through my cigarette lighter, but then both of my cigarette lighters, actually the fuse is blue. I tried to fix that myself. Uh, I went to a dealer. They said it was $3,000 to fix it and make it more stable so I could charge that regularly. And I was like, well, I can't pay three grand. Um, I loved it though. It was really hard. Um, money was always, every every time I ran into anything, money was an obstacle. Like literally anything would go wrong financially. Um, no one will understand how much fun it was to live in my truck. Like how, how the, the joy I felt. Uh, no one else was there. I, and I tried to film it, but again, money was always an issue. Like I made a whole video one time about the process of driving for DoorDash so that I could buy a new camera. I went to buy a new camera. My bank had a problem. I was out of money. Like it was just every every single time I tried to do, get ahead or do anything, make it better. Um, money was just a constant issue. And I was living like as cheap as humanly possible, man. Like I had I had a, a car payment, minimum insurance, and a Planet Fitness membership. And that was literally it. Like that and food. I was driving for DoorDash to pay my bills. Um, I had so much fun though. So many, I, I went to, I got to, one second, my nose is like really killing me. Ugh. When I talk, I think it gets really like dry in my nose because I, I'm talking and not using, I, I don't really know, but my nose gets always really itchy whenever I do the show. Um, I remember sleeping in the parking lot of a Planet Fitness in Vegas actually. And it was so peaceful. It was so nice. I, I really loved it. Like in the back of my truck, I backed into it. I'd wake up in the morning. The mountains actually were there. There was like this one Planet Fitness on the edge of town where you could see the mountains in the distance when you woke up. It was amazing. Uh, Phoenix was incredible. I slept at this Walmart, which was like a haven for van life people, basically. And uh, I was just one of the many people in vans or trucks or whatever, sleeping in their car. Um, San Luis Obispo was one of my favorite towns I saw on the road. 
Um, I slept in so many crazy environments. I mean, in a blizzard, in a snowstorm, in the heaviest rainstorm that's hit California in like 50 years. I was sleeping in my truck, like a tree fell in the car next to mine. It was wild. And I met so many amazing characters. I mean, sleeping outside, though, I got to say, is just like this really peaceful, incredible thing. It was the hardest thing financially I've ever done. Um, I, I just, I, I, I was in like a rock bottom place financially where the show was not making very much money. I hadn't taken any gambling sponsorships. My engagement had gotten called off. I was just at a, a bad place. I thought about quitting and walking away and never making content ever again. I mean, actually, I did walk away for a while. After the end of the road trip, I went and did HVAC for a while because I was burned out and had no money and was tired of telling myself someday it's going to be better. Um, having problems like literally charging my laptop and stuff made it hard to record every day. Like I couldn't record every day like I'm doing right now because I just never had enough power. Like straight up, like I couldn't electrically do it because my laptop would die before I could charge it fast enough to make it work again. It was a weird, weird uh, environment. But one I loved, I mean, I had countless adventures and so many people will never know. I, I tried to buy a camera. I tried to make it work financially so I could film it. And I, I think if I could have filmed it, if I could have made it long enough to afford a camera and then make videos about the truck, I think that people would have watched it and I think it would have been an amazing video series and also like would have started making money to generate enough money to keep it going. But I always had a money was always the problem there. Um, and I, I think I, I had problems when I left Hawaii the first time I was struggling financially and, um, had gone through the worst breakup of my entire life and called off an engagement and the Rona was just ending. And I, I knew that like financially, the only thing I could afford was a car payment. I was like, I can't afford an apartment right now. I'm like, well, I can live in my truck and have fun and make this into an adventure and make it into a fun thing. Um, and it was, I, I I miss it like all the time. I think people don't understand. I mean, I was homeless and I loved it. I really did. Um, the sound of the night, the coyotes, the whatever, sleeping in random places in Arizona, like off literally off-roading to like a cool spot in the desert. Um, there's something about like when you look out at the stars in the middle of the night, you're the only thing out there. Like it's the most beautiful, amazing feeling of the world. I, I loved it, man. I know... I was clearly going through a lot. Um, I tried to make content about it. it. It just didn't work. I was always having a hard time and running into obstacles and people always mad at me and complaining that they hated it, that they hated the truck, that they hated me doing podcasting from it. Um, to me, though, it was the best adventure of my entire life. It's a thing I needed desperately. Um, and I think a lot of people just will never understand my financial situation. I think people think I'm like really rich or like doing great or... Uh, I live paycheck to paycheck, man. Like I'm, I have a roommate. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. And I, uh, I HVAC was the thing that got me back on my feet financially. And it allowed me to build enough money and have enough savings to where, um, I could get back to Hawaii when I got an opportunity. And then I could go two months without making really any income from YouTube or from podcasting because I had enough savings from HVAC that I'm back now. And finally, like, uh, we're getting sponsorships and I'm back on my feet and kind of things are headed back in a good direction. And I, I think again, you know, you tell yourself that they're going to get better. And at the end of the road trip, I was just burned out of telling myself like someday it's going to get better. I was like, I can't, I got to just do HVAC. I got to get away from this. I'm so tired of doing YouTube and failing and not being good enough. And we're on the upswing now. It's pretty awesome. Um, but, uh, 
it's bittersweet. I, I loved it so much. And I never could properly show people what it was like. Um, I've got some some videos on my camera that and on my computer that I'll never do anything with probably, but because the video ends with me crying about how I can't afford to buy a new camera, even though I've been working really hard for it. Like this just isn't good content. Um, but I, I built like a little house in the back of my truck and it, it was freaking awesome, man. I really, I think people, um, a lot of people in my life didn't like it or were worried about it. Um, and the reality is it was the, I mean, to me, like the most self-reliant and, um, smartest thing I ever did. I mean, I found myself in a really tough spot financially, like really, really bad. Uh, and I said, well, how do I make this into a positive thing? How can I make this work and make this not awful? Um, and I did. I found a way to turn a really difficult loss in my life, um, financially and emotionally, um, and a lot of pain into like a fun adventure. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I would do it all again, man. I really like... I loved it. I, I really loved it. And if I'm ever rich again, I'll buy a van and do it for travel the country. And uh, I just never had enough money to do it the way I wanted to. Like I could never make it awesome. I could never ever make a great set. I could never afford Starlink. I could never afford solar panels. So I could never regularly record a podcast. I could never do the things I wanted to because I kept running into financial problems. But um, I mean, that's life, right? Like I if I had a million dollars, I would probably spend all of it making the best content I could. I'm just, I'm obsessed with making videos and doing the best I can. And, um, any barrier, any, like, how do I say this? Any frustration you as a viewer might have about the production quality of the show, understand that I feel the same way. Like I would love to be in a multi-million dollar set. Like a lot of people that do what I do, do. I can't afford that. I, I'm doing the best I can, um, and uh, I I really just I'm getting by, and that um, I think having people always mad at me for how the show looked when I was recording in the back of a truck. I think doing a fairly good job making it work in a really bad situation. It was emotionally just like I needed support, and I felt like people didn't didn't understand. It didn't properly come along, and I I don't know. Uh, I almost killed this whole thing. I really almost ruined. I made it so I could never come back and do SOS again. But um, gosh, I loved it. I, I really did. I'm, I'm rambling now. I'm sorry, but the sports show. But George, thanks for the question. Thanks for you may not have realized sending me down, you know, memory lane and uh, all the times like random road trips, Bellingham, Washington, the Oregon coast. I mean, sleeping in the weirdest spots ever, under a tree, next to the ocean, on a mountain, like. Anywhere you could. I mean, that was the hardest part, really, was finding a place to sleep every night. Um, I only one time had a cop, you know, hey, kid, you can't sleep there. That only happened to me one time. Uh, and, and really, like, it only happened because I was in a, a, a parking lot with a bunch of other people also doing it, and they just knocked on everyone's door. I think legitimately, the, I never once had anyone think I was sleeping in the back of a truck because my truck was so inconspicuous and so, like, hidden and so... Um, you would never know. I mean, I blacked out sides. It didn't look like a work. It didn't look like a truck that someone would drive. It did not look like a home. And I worked really hard to make it not look like someone lived in it. I mean, it really, you would never, never think looking at my truck that it was someone 
uh, a place where someone slept. And uh, I'm really proud of that because that that inconspicuousness allowed me to park literally anywhere. Um, but even sometimes finding a window, like you find a great spot to park under a tree in the dark in a neighborhood where no one will suspect you're there. But then you got to wait till there's no cars or there's an opening or all the lights are off so you can slip in and get from your driver's seat into the back of the truck so no one expects you're going to do that. Because if you get caught in, in the middle of that transition, you're like, hey, I... Okay, I'll just leave. I'm sorry. Like I was always afraid of getting caught in that transition and having someone call the cops on me. So, because it is illegal to sleep in your truck uh, and to do that, and I was <laughs> doing a lot of illegal stuff then. Uh, so, anyway, sorry guys, but thank you to uh, George. That was a fun for me, fun trip down memory lane. Uh, SDS4800 writes in says, "Hey Zach, just a general question. Do you watch other sports creators, for instance?" Urinating Tree, Tom Grassi, Set the Edge, etc. I don't. I don't watch any other. I don't want their opinions kind of influencing what I what I think. And I, I want this show to be original, and I want this show to be um, one hundred thousand percent just my opinion. And I always want to be sure that I'm not accidentally taking someone else's ideas. Um, on rare occasion, I watch that franchise guy, Marcus Whitman, one of my favorite people. I love him so much. He's so nice and. Uh, I also would recommend you watch Brett Coleman, personal friend of mine. Um, I mean, I've, I've interacted with Urinating Trees been really nice to me in the past. Uh, me and Tom, I've been in Tom's house and sat next to him uh, on the podcast set. Like we, I've been there. I, I love all these people you mentioned, um, but I don't, I don't watch content from them now. Um, Nick Flames writes in says, "Hey Zach Attack, I'm a fan of Duke. I'm waiting for my football team to let us down. <laughs> I understand that. However." At the moment, as a Duke fan, we are kicking butt. You have talked about Leonard, uh, Riley, Riley Leonard, the quarterback, but Duke has blown out their first three opponents by 20-plus points for the first time in 60 years. Clemson, University of Louisiana, Lafayette, and now Northwestern. One good team, one mediocre team, and one bad team. Regardless, their offense and defense has been steady. Now, it may sound crazy, but there is an outside dark horse shot. Duke makes the top 10 this year. They would have to continue winning uh, the games they should, then beat Florida State and North Carolina, which seems doable if they could beat Clemson. <coughs> so, um, Nick Flames, is Duke a top 10 team? I mean, do you mean momentarily, like for one week they're, they're, they're made a top 10 team, or do you mean like sustained a top 10 team for a couple weeks or even at the end of the year? Because that's not going to happen. Um, they could maybe briefly crack the top 10 they're number 18 right now. Uh, on their schedule, they've got Notre Dame. No way they win that game. Uh, Florida State and North Carolina. Yeah, they can upset Florida State and North Carolina. Maybe, maybe. And then they've only got that one loss, which is Notre Dame, which could be like a top 10 team. <laughs> maybe they're a top 10 team. I don't think anyone's going to. I mean, Duke is just such a um, underdog and college football is so elitist and the voters that vote on that stuff and uh, the polling is so biased. I, I, I can't imagine Duke getting the benefit of any kind of doubt there. But if you're a, a Duke fan, Nick, and you want to root for a top 10 appearance, I mean, that's a great thing to root for and would be a really cool opportunity and a cool moment for Duke football. Donovan writes in. Donovan says, what's up, Samurai Zach and all the members of the Zaconian community? <laughs> I love that. Uh, my name is Donovan, and I'm a Broncos fan. First off, I'd like to thank you for correcting me on my last write-in. 
I mistakenly said Russ only had two incompletions all game when I meant to say at halftime. Dude, no worries. You don't even need to. Uh, after an 0-2 start, I'm not even sure what to feel right now, as the Broncos fan he means. We lost two games that could have been and honestly should have been wins for this team. Playoffs is a reach for this team, but I still hope the team bounces back and at least fights for a wild card spot, even though I'm highly doubtful we'll get it. I can make excuses as to why we shouldn't have lost, but instead I'm going to focus on Russell Wilson. He had two turnovers, but they were both controversial, and I'd argue that one of them wasn't his fault. Despite this, he played really well again in week two. He looked much more comfortable in the offense this week and even hit a couple deep shots. He was using his legs really effectively and picked up multiple first downs. Of course, the main thing you want to see is wins, but I still think Russ is continuing to look better. What do you think Russ needs to do differently to get his team to win a game? Honestly, I, I think Russ is fine. I don't have a great answer here for you. Um, the best thing Russell Wilson has done is extend plays, actually. He looks way better outside the pocket than he did last year, uh, or even two years ago, in, his last year in Seattle. Week three, they play Miami. That's a huge game. This game coming up at Miami, you cannot start the year 0-3. And, uh, I mean, frankly, Denver needs Russell Wilson to lift them up. I mean, they need Russ to, like, put them on his back and say, we are going to start 1-2. and two. We cannot start 0-3. If you're a future Hall of Famer, it's time to show it now if you're Russell Wilson. And uh, what does that mean exactly? Like, you know, what does he got to do? They got to execute and finish drives. They got to score more than um, – they got to score a lot of points and just cannot miss an opportunity on offense at all. Because Denver's got a tough schedule coming up. They play at Denver. Sorry, obviously they play Denver. Uh, they play at Miami next week on week three. They play at Chicago. That's a must-win game. They play the Jets. They play at Kansas City. They play Green Bay and Denver. They play at Buffalo. They play Minnesota. Then Cleveland. Let me, let me repeat that again. Miami, Chicago, Jets, Kansas City, Green Bay, Buffalo, Vikings, Cleveland Browns. They got to win five of the next eight games. And even a five of their next eight games being won, that would just put the Broncos at five and five. There is no time to waste here. Five and five puts you in a shot where maybe you can finish the year, I don't know, 10 and seven, which then you're maybe close to a wild card spot. But you're in the AFC, so probably not. But um, unfortunately, Denver started the year with a loss uh, back to back to average teams, the Raiders and Washington, which is crippling to your season. I mean, when you got a tough schedule, every gimme win against a team like Chicago week four, you got to win that football game. And if you're a team that's supposed to be a good football team, you got to beat Washington week two and you got to beat the Raiders week one. Starting 0-2 is catastrophic for Denver, especially when you you lost by a combined three points. And then starting 0-3 would be... um, a disaster. You, you can't recover from 0-3 if you're Denver at all. Um, so this is maybe the biggest win, uh, biggest game of Russell Wilson's short career in Denver is uh, this week on the road at Miami. Denver absolutely has to win, and Russell Wilson has to do everything in his power. He cannot look back Monday morning and go, I should have done this and this and this. He's got to leave no stone unturned and just take every opportunity humanly possible. Kevin Rudin, Kevin said, Hey Zach, I've been following you for years on YouTube and this is the first time writing in. As a Chiefs fan, I was wondering if you could do a top five possible free agents or players to trade for that would make sense. 
Feels like we're missing a true number one receiver outside of Travis Kelsey to keep us dominant, uh, as we should be. Thank you. Uh, when I look ahead at the future um, free agents, there's only one guy that really spoke to me. Um, and, and straight up, I don't think that Kansas City needs a new number one receiver. I really don't. I think they're actually in a good spot. Um, I mean, if Cooper Cup becomes available at the trade deadline, you make a trade for Cooper Cup, that would be amazing. He's got to get healthy. Um, but straight up, I mean, Tyreek Hill was a fifth round pick. And Tyreek Hill, look what he turned into. They got a lot of Guys who are not a top first-round pick in Kansas City, but uh, Sky Moore, to me, has got a lot of potential. Sky Moore is really fast. Sky Moore has got a lot of properties and a lot of ability, similar to what Tyreek Hill had coming out of college. I think Sky Moore could be very similar to Tyreek Hill. You just got to be patient. Let him develop and let him turn into what he's going to turn into. But what I will say, that to answer your question, Kevin, the guy that comes to mind, who I think they've got a shot of grabbing in the offseason— if Mike Evans becomes available, remember, he did not sign a long-term contract in Tampa. He's an older player. He's going to be over 30 coming up uh, in this offseason. And uh, as a receiver over 30, that's, you know, a lot of people don't want to touch to give you a long-term contract. Mike Evans in a Kansas City Chiefs jersey would be a home run. And I know Mike Evans wants to win another Super Bowl. He's talked about that before. Mike Evans catching passes from Patrick Mahomes feels a little bit similar to Randy Moss playing with Tom Brady. It's a player who has been underappreciated his entire career, who had a great start early, who's a little bit later in his career, going to play with the best guy in the league and would be amazing. And I think I think Mike Evans in a Chiefs jersey is the most terrifying thought I could possibly think of if you're an NFL fan of any of the other 31 teams. I mean, Mike Evans... Keep him away from Kansas City if you're any other fan of any other team because Mike Evans could be a catastrophic, both disaster for other teams and an absolute home run for Kansas City. His ability to go up and high point balls, get behind defenders, still somehow he's doing that. Um, I watched him against Chicago. They were playing, it was third and 14. They're playing soft coverage and he still ran a great route, got behind the corner, behind both corner and safety for an easy touchdown you're like how is he wide open like how is that possible um mike evans is the number one guy that kansas city if you're a chiefs fan you're hoping and praying your team brings him in uh this offseason david writes in uh david says hey zach a rejoining patreon member here i stopped watching uh, YouTube after I got my new job a couple years back and then my credit card on Patreon expired, but I'm back. Thanks, man. Glad you're back. Uh, had a question on what on what Shadur Sanders said about the difference between FCS and FBS football teams in a postgame interview. He essentially said that skill position players are the same in both, but that the main difference is the offensive and defensive lines. Do you agree with him? Do you have any other thoughts? Thanks in advance. I actually don't feel like I can add anything and, and who would I be to disagree with Shadur Sanders on this? I mean, he just went from... FCS Jackson State to FBS Colorado, he would know. But I will say that the things I've observed um, say that he's right. I've got friends who have played at both levels. Some guys have played at the lower level and then gone up, and some guys played at the higher level and gone down. And they said that, like, yeah, it's it's linemen. Linemen are the more rare thing to find in college football. You're not going to find a – I don't even know what's the word. Keon Coleman is, like, an incredible receiver at Florida State. There's not a lot of that, that those guys going on – 
and the FCS level, but there's not a lot of Keon Coleman's just anywhere in college football, period. Um, but yeah, the number one difference is just linemen are faster, they're more powerful, they're bigger. Um, it's just that's the difference between Alabama and Eastern Washington. But, um, you know, I've got, uh, I've got friends who played at Eastern and, uh, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't want to, how do I say this? What am I, what am I saying here? Um, yeah, they, they just agree, I guess is what I would say. Jasper writes in, Jasper says, see my, dude, it's like a, it's like a dryness that just like appears in my nose while I'm talking. When you talk for like, how long have you been going for like an hour? I encourage you sometime, sit down, talk for an hour, but don't just like talk to yourself. Like talk very, very, um, where you're, you're broadcasting your voice. You are really, really trying to, um, share with people. It's a different type of experience. I think a lot of people have no idea how kind of difficult it is to talk, uh, in a clear, understandable way for like an hour and a half. Uh, I got to blow my nose, guys. My nose, it's not even running. It just itches like a mother effer, and I don't want to do it on camera. I feel like I've already pushed the boundaries there. So give me one second. I'm going to cut. I'll be right back. All right, we are back. Jasper writes in says, prime Zach attack. I'm sorry you're not feeling well. Same here. Not sure what's up in Hawaii, but there's a, sure a weather change on the mainland here. Yeah, I'm so glad. I walked around my neighborhood yesterday. Uh, I haven't left my house for like a week. I've been very sick, but I walked around yesterday and I'm like, do I miss fall? Do I miss it being cold? No. Nope. Not at all. No, no. Um, I miss the like dark. I really do miss like the dark, stormy cloud feeling of the Oregon coast. Uh, you can get that on other islands. Not really here. Oahu's pretty sunny pretty much most of the time. Um, a little bit over on Kaneohe, the the uh, eastern side. But really where I want to be, if I, if I had a lot of money and could buy a property, I would buy uh, land on the big island in the rainforest. That's like, that's my dream. Raining every day, way too much. 70 degrees, outdoor porch that's covered in the rain. That's Zach's like best life humanly possible. Uh, Jasper, again, he continues with his question and says, so for my question this week, how did you handle rivalry games during your playing days and how would you handle it if you were a coach? I think the whole Sanders family and the Buffaloes walked into a trap game against Colorado State, completely underestimating the level of play in a rivalry game. Did rivalry not matter much in Jackson State? Did Deion Sanders forget the hate the Cowboys had for the Eagles? Just curious what your thoughts are on that game as well. What happened between Colorado and Colorado State? Um, when I was in, when I played football, in college there weren't any crazy rivalry games, not really, um, but in high school, we had a rivalry game against Columbia River that uh, what's funny is like all my friends went to Columbia River. Like I, I dated their varsity cheerleader. Um, I, because of her, was friends with all the, like the guy, I, when I, when my brother died, uh, I moved in with my best friend. He went to Columbia River High School. I slept in their basement for like five years. Um, they took care of me. My junior year, we lost to Columbia River in a really embarrassing way on national TV. Look up River Skyview someday if you want a uh, kick, maybe. Look, River Skyview kick. You'll find a video of we're on World's Worst and not Top 10 and Chris Carter's making fun of us on Come On Man. 
So then my senior year coming, you know, we, we just had this embarrassing loss last year to this football team. And now I, I know all the players. I, I, I'd been in the, I'd moved to Vancouver, Washington, and I'd been there for a year. And I knew all the guys that I was going to play against. Nathan Hawthorne, good friend of mine. This guy Holden, who is just a massive douche nozzle. Oh my gosh. Hated that kid so much. Um, we threw the game winning touchdown pass against Holden. I'll never forget it. Uh, threw a touchdown pass on a, a curl route. Holden's defending Jeremiah. Jeremiah runs for a touchdown after the catch, and uh, Holden's laying on the ground, spread eagle. I ran and jumped over him. Almost got a penalty. Didn't get called back, thank goodness. But uh, that kid talked so much garbage on Twitter and gave up the game-winning touchdown. Holden, never forget, if you're out there, uh, I didn't forget, and I'm really glad we beat you. It felt really good. Um, So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that familiarity is what makes and what fuels a rivalry game. When you know the other team really well, they know you, you play each other every year, or you you know each other personally really well, it makes a game matter more. It's kind of like playing against your friends in a weird way. People you know more, you compete against harder. Um, you know, we played a game against Woodenville High School. Uh, actually, uh, the right tackle of the Titans, uh, Andre Dillard, was on that team, and he it was amazing, but we didn't care. Like, we didn't really know him. It wasn't personal. A rivalry game is personal because you know the people. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think Colorado State meant anything to Deion Sanders in Colorado. Like, they didn't care. Deion Sanders is like, Colorado, what? I don't, I don't care. I'm, I'm out here doing my thing. I'm trying to beat college football games every year. And um, that rivalry was fueled. Now, next year, when Colorado plays Colorado State, they're going to remember. They learned, I think, who Colorado State is. And, uh, you know, that, that coach, um, I forget his name, Norville, whatever his name is, Jay Norville, there we go. Um, next year, Dion was very classy. He did not say anything negative about Jay Norvell. He didn't, he actually went out of his way to say, like, I'm happy for the brother. Like, I really want to see the guy win and do well. And uh, I think Dion is, like, beyond classy. But Colorado State, their players, they knew Colorado well. And they were angry. They were pissed off. Uh, I think they were mad. A lot of the guys on that Colorado State football team are from the state of Colorado. So they know the Colorado Buffaloes. Dion didn't know Colorado State. I think you're right. And uh, there was not a familiarity there for Dion Sanders. It was He's being introduced. They're like, hey, we're Colorado State. Nice to meet you. And they punched him in the face. And next year, I think it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I really think that... Uh, I'm going to watch a lot of Colorado football, I think, in my lifetime. I think Dion's going to be there for a while. I can't wait. I almost want to buy a jersey or a shirt or something. Like, I really, I'm enjoying it so much. And, uh, <laughs> man, I think the next year that Colorado State-Colorado game is going to be awesome. I really think it's going to be a, it was awesome this year. But now they know. Now, Shadur Sanders and Colorado football Deion Sanders, they know what Colorado State's all about. They're chippy, they play dirty, and there's now familiarity that wasn't there before. And, uh, man, I think that... I <laughs> just... What a game, dude. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, I think when you know your opponent really well, not just, like, you know their scheme, their film, but when you know them on a personal level, it makes games better. Josh writes in, Josh says... Hey, hey there, Zachary Shomlinson. Zachary Shomlinson. What's that a what's that a reference to? I'm not really sure. I know Taylor Tomlinson. Um, 
I'm writing in as a Patriots fan who is very disappointed with Sunday night's game. They lost to Miami, remember? 24 to 17. What I saw during that game was Mac Jones getting pressured every time he stepped back to throw. He got sacked four times and was throwing quickly or running for his life all night. Week one, Mac Jones and the offense looked significantly better than they did on Sunday night against a better defense in Philly. How much responsibility do you think Mac has in their sputtering week two performance? And how much hope is there for the Pats offense? Thanks for reading. Hope you feel better soon. Um, I, I really don't. I, I'm going to try to answer this, Josh. I think the honest answer, though, is that you got to come back like week six or seven. Um, we got to see more. I mean, we have two two games. It's not a lot to go off when you're trying to judge what happened. Uh, we need more repeated patterns to understand there. Uh, it could have been that there were a lot of times where Mac Jones had um, a thing he should have changed. It should have changed the protection at the line. Maybe there were times where Mac should have been better protected because he didn't do the right thing. But I, I see Mac Jones legitimately doing a lot of good stuff. He's not a great quarterback. Like he, he's not a, he's an average quarterback. He's more like a, he's somewhere in the realm of Brock Purdy and Kirk Cousins, right? He's Kirk Cousins is like the best of the average quarterbacks. And Mac Jones is somewhere in the middle uh, of the average Kirk Cousins type quarterbacks who can't run and have an average arm. But I'd love to see Mac Jones play with like legitimately elite receivers. Like what would Mac Jones look like playing with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell? I think he looks significantly better. And I think a lot of what goes on in New England is they just don't have very great playmakers out wide. Um, and I think as a guy who appreciates a quarterback position and played myself, and um, I see Mac Jones do a lot of stuff that are like, that's a great throw. Stepping into pressure, getting leveled on a great throw over the middle, um, layering a ball over a linebacker. I remember he did that. Uh, he threw a couple throws in a really tight coverage. I'm like, that's just a perfect dime, like a, a perfect throw to a great location. He had a couple throws that were dropped. I mean, I don't know. I, I just think Mac Jones has a limited ceiling because he's not physically gifted. He's just kind of an average athlete with an average arm. But the things that he can control, he does fairly well. And I, uh, you know, I I don't know. I don't really have a, any hate for Mac Jones. We'll, we'll see week seven or eight. Um, like week six or seven, I guess, we'll kind of be able to start understanding on a deeper level what's going on with the Patriots offense and uh, we're two games in let's just uh, let's keep watching Uh, but as we watch more Patriots football we'll be able to deeper understand how their year is going and what they're doing uh, on offense Daniel writes in Daniel says hey Zach glad to see you're back and doing well I heard your thoughts about Alabama and their impatience at the quarterback position today And I had my own take on it that I wanted to share. Sorry, it's kind of a long take. No problem. No apology needed. To me, it looks like the NIL and transfer portal era of college football has defeated the empire that was Alabama football. We are now seeing parity in college football that hasn't been seen in years. Alabama can no longer hoard the best players and replace five-star after five-star at every position. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. 
Ships Registry, Bahamas. There are, there are programs that will pay these guys more or give them a better looking opportunity to play and be seen, which loops, which loops back into making more money. I think Alabama is impatient because they are scrambling to stay relevant as a powerhouse in college football. They're looking for a quick fix and can't take time to develop the guys they have because they have a standard to maintain. You've also mentioned that Nick Saban is doing the Pat McAfee show uh, because it's a marketing or recruiting ploy, and I definitely agree. Alabama is going to do everything they can to bring these kids in, but now that there are better opportunities available elsewhere, I don't think they're able to pull it off. You know, maybe Alabama is slowly eroding, Daniel. You're right. Um, I'm glad they're going back to Jalen Milrow at quarterback. They are, I think, sticking with the most talented quarterback they have, which is the right decision. He's uh, got a long way to go as a passer, but got a great deep ball and really quick and able to make a lot of plays running the football. Um, yeah, I think you're, you say a lot of interesting stuff. It, it sent me down a lot of rabbit holes. Uh, first of all, Nick Saban is going to be tested like never before with his ability to develop young players, because you're right. Anyone's, anyone who's unhappy or wants a bigger platform, no one's going to be a backup at Alabama anymore. If you're a backup at Alabama, you're going to transfer out and go play, get on the field. It doesn't make any sense to be a backup anywhere in college football if you're a good player, because you can get paid literally for playing and you're going to grow and enjoy the game. And you're not stuck. You can transfer like in ways you couldn't before. Um, I just want to see, I think, honestly, Alabama's got a lot of really good players on their roster. Great receivers that make plays, a incredible, true freshman left tackle who's, like, amazing. You're like, wow, this guy's unbelievable. Um, maybe they are slowly eroding at Alabama, but Alabama isn't dead yet. And I think we're a couple of years still before we can say Alabama's dead and the dynasty is over. Um, things have changed seismically in college football in ways we've never seen before transfers everywhere. The transfer portal is massive. That's how you build a great team now. Um, and Nick Saban has to adapt. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe it gets killed. Maybe it's the Bobby Bowden era. The uh, I, Joe Paterno is kind of a bad word in college football now, but Joe Paterno was a once great coach who eroded at the end. He just wasn't as good at the in his final years at Penn State. And this happens to everybody. You build an empire. You get older. Things change, you can't keep up, and you win fewer and fewer games every year till you retire, basically. But I, I wouldn't count Nick Saban out yet. Things have changed a lot. He's got to develop young teams. He may not be as dominant as frequently as he was, but um, I think Nick has got the ability as a coach, I would think, to teach people the game of football. They're going to get great players. They still will. And as long as he can develop young players and teach them how to play the game at a high level, they're going to be competitive and really good. And Alabama is really good. Are they going to win a national title this year? Probably not. But if they had a dynamic quarterback who was, like, amazing, I think Alabama would still be where they are. Like, the problem right now is they don't have a truly dynamic, incredible quarterback. They might need to bring someone in. Maybe they should have tried to bring Sam Hartman in to transfer in. Maybe they're going to have to go to the transfer portal after this year to go get a transfer quarterback. Or maybe 
this year they can teach Jalen Milrow to play at a high level, and by next year he'll be ready to go. But um, I think we're so quick to say Alabama's not the same as they were, but like they've had four NFL quarterbacks in a row. How about all you got to do is go get another great quarterback? And Alabama's a very different conversation right now. So I don't know. I'm not ready to give up on Alabama, but I hear you, Daniel. Um, I'm just not in any hurry to call a shot that Alabama's dead in the water. We got three questions left. Reno writes in. Reno says, oh, no, we only have uh, two left because we already answered David's from earlier. Reno says, what's going on, Zach? I love listening to your podcasts recapping the week, but it would be cool to hear your perspective in the moment. Would you ever consider live streaming games on YouTube, Gino? I'll consider anything if I get desperate enough financially. Um, Live streaming NFL games for me would remove uh, a tremendous amount of joy I feel. I love, love, love watching a game, a great snack, uh, a notebook here. I'm a nerd. I take notes. I got my glasses on. I really like nerd out when I watch football. I would have to really change the way I watch football to a way that I enjoy much less in order to broadcast it. I'm sure I could, and if I ever need to, I will. I'd rather just live stream this, this show, like do a couple. I wouldn't want to do every episode live streamed. I just don't want to do that, but I I could live stream an episode or two every week of Strong Opinion Sports, and that would be very fun. Um, I am figuring out how that would work because I have pre-recorded ad reads, and uh, I would, I want to be able to play videos on the show, and I can't do that live without a like I, I sometimes I insert a clip for example right I don't know how to do that while I live stream I know there are ways it would just take me learning a new skill technically um I'm considering figuring it out I know it would be helpful to get uh tips on YouTube from live streaming for sure that would be great um I'm also noticing that it's hard to have great audio quality on a live stream No matter what you do, you're sacrificing audio in some way. So either way, I'd have to edit afterward. And um, I also would be worried that people wouldn't know where to find the show. So I have all these questions when it comes to live streaming. It's the thing I want to play around with. Um, In in fact, I I could see in the next month or so, if Zach just goes randomly live, I'll be like, I'll probably make a live stream on Strong Opinion Sports, just like live stream test. So if you see that happening in the next month, be like, oh, yeah, that's what's going on. Zach's figuring it out. But Uh, I'm nowhere near enough, figured out enough to do it long-term and do it regularly. And uh, live streaming a game where like I'm watching a game on TV and filming myself and commenting on it as I go. um, Right now, that's not an experience I want to have, but I, you know, never rule anything out. Uh, Kenny's final question of the day today. It's a fun one. I've got a fun answer and uh, I don't really have a serious answer to this question, but it is what it is. Kenny writes and says, hello, Zach. What college do you think has the best nicknames, i.e. the Colorado Buffaloes, Oklahoma Sooner, Alabama Crimson Tide, etc.? For me, it either has to be the Toledo Rockets or Coastal Carolina Chanticleers or even the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. As always, never stop making content. What college has the best nicknames? Well, guys, um, given my love of Cougars, it has to be any team with a Cougar mascot. Uh, I've always loved, loved a good Cougar. And, uh, you know, Washington State, Houston, BYU even. Oh, a BYU Cougar. Oh, my goodness, guys. <laughs> um, 
you guys know my if you listen to Zach Shalmer talk on the other podcasts, you've known how I operate, what I like. Uh, love a good coog. So uh, that's the answer. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. I feel like that didn't land as well as I wanted, but yeah, that's what it is. I, I just, again, I, I love the line. And it's a true, true saying. Love a, love a good cougar. <laughs> it's, it's very true. Um, I love you guys. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. I will see you. The next episode will be an episode breaking down the madness that is about to happen tomorrow in college football. And uh, I think it's going to be uh, a legendary, legendary, really, really fun weekend of college football. And I'm going to be all here for it. I'm going to be all over it. I'm going to cover it heavily. I love you. I appreciate you. hope you have a great day. I'll see you very soon. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.